0: Well, good morning. Great to be uh, with you this morning. My name is Jez, if you don't know me, uh, pastor here at Second City. Um, we are in a series called The Father's Heart. And what we've been exploring is this What is God's heart towards the world? What, what is His heart uh, to, towards uh, those who. Um, have come to know him to, towards his family. And what, what does he desire for us? What is he, what, what is he doing in, in this world? And the first um, passage that we looked at was in Revelation. And it gave us this kind of big picture perspective of all the things that he's doing. And it was uh, it was just one 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 verse that we focus on. He said, it was Jesus saying, Behold, I make all things new. Now that could be, a description of everything else that God is doing or has done through Jesus. That he's making things new. That means that probably there was something about what was old that needs to be made new. And that's what we discover in the Bible. It says, look... When the world was made, it was made to be good and perfect and right. But then because rebellion entered into the world, because we rejected God and His rule, sin entered and a chasm was opened up between God and His creation, which included us as humans. But because God so loved the world, we're told He came up with a plan. And what was the plan? Well, He was going to give His one and only Son, that through Christ... Everything that was undone might become redone. That things that were broken would be repaired. That things that were smashed would be put back together. The things that were hurt would be healed. Behold, I make all things new. What we find in the gospel is not just a personal salvation, but a but a cosmic salvation. He's coming to make all things new. He's going to put all things that are wrong right. It's a grand vision. It's not a small vision. It's not a personal thing that we just keep to ourselves and we say, oh, well, this is just about, you know, that Christianity is about an individual's relationship with God. It is that, but it's much more than that. It's about, it's about the whole world's relationship with God. It's about creation itself and everything that's been made's relationship with God. And so we discover that there's this grand vision. Behold, I, Jesus says, am making all things new. I'm sure many of us have experienced something of the brokenness of our world. It's probably something that every society agrees on, isn't there? There's something wrong with the world. We might have different opinions about what it is that's wrong with the world and how it's came to or how even we answer it. Do we answer it through politics or through science or through just our own uh, living, a, 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 whatever we would call a moral life or a good life? But we all agree there's something wrong with the world. We can probably even all agree that there's probably something wrong With ourselves, we experience that tension within. We're not the people that we want to be. We wish that we didn't say that, or we wish we didn't do that, or we wish we did do that, um, or we did say that. Many of us live with regret. Many of us live with shame. And so there's this sense inside something's not right. Um, the Bible talks about this idea of shalom, peace. It's a harmony, it's an equity, it's, a, it's a things, everything in its right place. And I think deep down in every soul, um, whether we verbalize it or even if we uh, think about it, we would all love to be in shalom. We'd all love to be at peace, in harmony with ourselves, with one another, with the world. And yet the reality is that it is not... Now, I don't know if you've ever come across um, this uh, this phrase called imposter syndrome. Has anyone ever come across the idea of imposter syndrome? Um, Imposter syndrome is this psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, their talents, or their accomplishments, and has a persistent internalized fear at being exposed as a fraud. And despite external evidence of their competence those experience this phenomenon remain convinced that they are frauds and they don't deserve all that they may have achieved. And I think what lies beneath that imposter syndrome is this need, this basic human need for acceptance. We all want to fit in. We, we all want to belong. And, and sometimes in order to do that, we create and present ourselves in various different versions depending on the circumstances that we find our, ourselves in. So maybe at home we're one way, and maybe at work we're another way, or with certain sets of friends we're, we're, we're another way. We adapt to the environment because we want to fit in, we want to belong. And we might have just various additions of, our, of ourselves. And all the time we're tweaking and we're modifying in order to be accepted in any particular situation and the overall net effect of that is that we don't feel like we belong because we we never really present our true self or we're worried about presenting our true self so even when people accept us it's on the basis of not exactly who we are but a version of who we are I'm not saying that version doesn't have truth in it but it, it maybe isn't completely the truth of who we are and so I think deep down inside each of us, again, is this little sense of unbelonging, this little sense of maybe imposter syndrome for, for some of us. And we spend our time trying to disguise our weaknesses and to, to even sometimes puff up our goodness so that people might like us. In our world, sometimes we want to embrace Differences, and that's celebrated, isn't it? And other times, our society doesn't embrace differences, and it's frowned upon to be different. What would it be like to be in a world or in a place where we were accepted for who we were? We recognize that we were all different. We come with different traditions and different backgrounds and, and, and different um, experiences and, and, and um Uh, different um, abilities, what would it be like for us to live in a way or live in a place where all those things were celebrated, where we truly would be able to be ourselves, where there would be no need for compare, there would be no need for jealousy, there would no need to puff ourselves up, or even to bring ourselves low, a place where friendship and companionship can be found. What I want to propose today as we look at this passage is that we see that the, that the good news of Jesus Christ, and we sometimes refer to that as the gospel, which means good news, that the gospel of grace enables that to happen. And that without the gospel of grace, the idea of being together and uh, diverse and unified is a reality that just cannot be achieved. That God is doing something, and has done something through Christ to create the possibility of us having the sort of community or being the sort of community that accepts and loves one another despite or even because of our differences. Last week we looked at the fact that the Christian community is a distinct community that we're set apart to be different. And one of the ways in which um, we're set apart to be different, is that we are to think differently. That's what uh, chat, uh, verse 2 says in that passage, that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what I want us to see is that there are three things in this passage that talks about the renewing of our minds. Um, first of all, I want us to see that the gospel transforms our view of ourselves. Okay? Okay. The go- the secondly, the gospel trans- transforms our view of community. And then, thirdly, the gospel transforms the view of our, um, of our gifts and abilities. Okay, so verse 3 says this. And if you've got your, your Bibles there, please open them. If not, it will be on the, the screen if you haven't got them. But just to make sure that I am, you know, what I'm saying matches what's on here. Uh, is that right? Because, you know, you, you want to make sure I'm not saying a load of rubbish. Uh, so it says this, for by, great, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Part of the transforming power of the gospel, it leads us to a right view of ourselves, Verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Paul warns us, not to be high-minded, not to be arrogant. And despite our culture's consistent counsel about the danger of lower self-esteem, it seems here that Paul says that the, the bigger danger is not low self-esteem, but too high self-esteem, where we esteem ourselves greater than we truly are. And we're all prone, aren't we, in some way to extra- extravagate... That's not a word. Uh, not is it? Pardon? Exaggerate? Thank you very much. Uh... That word could be a word in the dictionary, um, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> uh, We're we are all prone to exaggerate um, our wisdom, our competence, our sincerity, uh, our status. C.S. Lewis, speaking on humility, says this. If anyone would like to inquire, acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. It's a biggish step too. At least nothing else can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very well conceited indeed. So what he's saying there is, look, you know, there's something within us that is likely that we are prone to being proud. And the first step to humility is to recognize that. So we must be aware of the danger not to think too highly of ourselves. But on the other hand, here, uh, Paul says, but think with sober du- judgment. So the picture here of thinking sober judgment is the opposite. The, the opposite of sobriety is drunkenness. This sort of unclear, this distorted picture of reality that happens if you have a sherbet too many. Um, and um, so we have to have sober Judgment, sober thinking. So that means we are to grasp reality. Notice here Paul doesn't uh, go so far as to say that we should think of others better than ourselves here or to see ourselves lower than others. But we are to see the reality, who we truly are. We are to see what is good. We are to see uh, what we are gifted at and not to try and hide that and say that doesn't exist, but to, with sober judgment, with reality, see there are some things that we don't like about ourselves and there are some things that we do like about ourselves. There are things that we are not so good at and there are some things that we are good at. And so, as... um, We read in this passage, we are not to think too lowly of ourselves as well as not too high of ourselves, but to see ourselves as we truly are. How does this come about? How is it possible for us to have the right view of ourselves? Well, it says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, I don't know if you remember your first day at secondary school. I don't have the world's best memory, but I kind of have an idea of what that day was like, and I'll try and describe it, uh, you know. And the, the backdrop is this, that you have basically spent the last year of your life being the top dogs in a, in a context of smaller dogs. Maybe you're intellectually better than those who are younger than you, maybe you're probably likely to be physically stronger than those younger than you, and then um, are younger than you. But then you go to secondary school or high school, and then all of a sudden everybody looks like trees, and there's a there's another student with a beard, and your mum has just let you walk to the shops on your own, <laughs> you know, and giving you you know giving you fifty pence pocket money, um, and everyone just seems so much bigger, so much you know uh, stronger, so much more um, uh, um, uh, able than you, and. Uh, and there's something in our, in our brains, isn't there, wired to compare. And we start thinking, okay, who am I? We get dispersed. You know, before we kind of like, I know who I am in this school. Like, you know, I'm this person. I've been here for a while. I know all these people. And then all of a sudden, you, most of the people in that school, you don't know. You know some that you came with, but most people, you don't know uh, at all. And you start to think, what's my place here? Who am I going to be? Um, what's it going to be like? How am I going to fit in? You kind of have a little mini... Uh, 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 a mini crisis um, and again we're tempted to think of ourselves either too low or too high of ourselves but according to Paul our sober view is to see ourselves according to the measure of faith that God is assigning to us now there's two ways that we can interpret this measure of faith or ways in which people have tried to to, to, to understand this measure of faith one, uh, thought is to understand it as an amount of faith. So that your opinion of yourself depends on how much faith God has given you. Therefore, the more, uh, more faith you have, the more you see yourself as you truly are. However, I don't really believe that this is the context of this passage. Uh, the, the word here for measure is the Greek word metron, which is the word that we get uh, the meter from, and it's a standard of measurement. And it seems what, what Paul is saying here to the, 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 the Christians in Rome is this, that the, the way in which we have a sober judgment of ourselves is to see ourselves as all coming to have faith by the same way, by the grace of God. So you, can along, you can't no you can look at yourself and say, look at my gifts, look at my talents, look, look at what I've done, uh, look how much better I am, because the thing that has made us and changed us, we've all received the same way. It's been a gift of God through grace, uh, by, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that means, again, that we don't think too high of ourselves, and we don't think too low of ourselves. Because, in one sense, not too high, because, like I said, all the things that we've received has come through God, and that is that is why we're able to, to, to be in relationship uh, with God and with one another. But they're not too low, because... His saving grace says something about it. It says, I love you. I accept you. We've all come to that same place. So the gospel prevents us from thinking too highly of ourselves. We are all sinners who uh, have have been saved by the kindness of another. And not to think too lowly of ourselves because we're all sinners saved by the loving kindness of the king of the universe who declares us precious, each and every one, in his sight. For so the Christian is saved by grace, and thus does not need to boast in themselves, but can boldly confess both their strengths and their weaknesses. In the Christian community, there is no need for compare and contrasting and boasting or loneliness, because we've all become one In Christ same loved by the one God saved by the one God accepted by the one God now he's made us different and we're going to see that he, he he gives us different functions and and gifts and skills to use in the body but in the Christian community we we don't need to puff ourselves up or bring ourselves low because of what the gospel has done so the gospel transforms our view of ourselves. The second thing that it does, it transforms our view of community. Verse 4 and 5 says this, For as in one body we have many members, the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So the second thing it does, it transforms our thinking on community specifically around christian community what christian community should be like because we see ourselves all as the same in christ saved by god's grace through faith we can start to understand that we have become united through christ in one so we're no longer just individuals relating to god but we're a people relating to god and in this in this sort of So there's a kind of sameness, but also in the midst of sameness, there's a differentness. We have different functions, it says. So we're united, but it's not uniformity. There's a place for us to express um, the individuality that God has given to us, In the place of the body. So we can fit. That we can be the person that God has made us to be in the context of the body. We have distinct personalities, temperance, histories, abilities. That mean we bring something unique to the body. So different, unique, but one, united together. A united and diverse community. Think about the picture of a mosaic. Um... As a, as, or maybe a, a, a stained glass window, as a picture of the body of Christ, each one of us is a different, unique piece of glass, individually shaped with our own color and pigment. Uh, and you know about you know, glass when they used to make the old glass, even if they tried to make it the same color, it would often just have slightly different parts in it. And, and you know when you're, you're creating glass. There would often be like the slight imperfection, so that when the light would come through, um, uh, through the window, it would strike its own u- unique colour and uh, disperse the the light in a, in a unique way. Well, that's us. We're all individual. We've got an individual colour, got an individual shape, uh, and uh, we reflect the light in our individual way. But God has put us together in like a mosaic to reflect the body of Christ. So united, but diverse. Now you take pieces out of that picture, it, you, you know, you, you 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 quickly see something's missing. It doesn't reflect God's, you know, the picture very well, doesn't it? If you were to take, well, we're going to take out all the all the red pieces from this, it it wouldn't be a very pretty picture at all. Um, but God has put us together, unique and different, united and diverse, each one of us to reflect him, both individually differently, but corporately differently, if that makes sense, like together we reflect him in a unique way. And Second City as a church, uh, which just to be clear about the the church, God has his church, which means the universal church, everybody who believes in his name, and then he has little individual communities that are also called churches. Um, and each of those individual local churches, they reflect the body of Christ quite differently as well, because they're made up of different people. Each one of you is different. You go to another church, and, 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 and maybe it will be a church um, that you know, has a different demographic. Again, they reflect um, the, the unitedness uh, of Christ and the diversity in Christ. Differently. So even within churches, it's uh, it's different. So our job as a, as a church is to reflect him through who we are together. Again, the body image is used here because it's about being connected, isn't it? It's almost like you can't you know you can't really dissect. I think that's why the body images are good images that you can't really dissect an arm, you know, off the body and say that the body is whole, you know. Um, That would feel odd, isn't it? So every one of us is important and significant within the place of the body. So the church is a place where people can belong, a place where people can be accepted for who they are. And so we do not need to be jealous. We do not need to compare. We do not need to change ourselves to fit in with other people, apart from which God, the change of which God is doing in us to make us more like his son. That means that we belong. You have a place to belong. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have a place where you can be united to other people in a special way that is so different than anywhere else. You are loved by God. There is a place for you in Christian community. And then finally... The gospel transforms our view of our abilities. Maybe just taking that picture of difference and sort of drilling down into it a bit more as it relates to our own abilities. What we're going to see is that we are valued, indispensable, and interdependent. Verses 6 to 8 says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts of merc- uh, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the gospel, that means the good news of Jesus Christ, changes the way we view the gifts and abilities that God has given to us. The body we see has different gifts. It's made of people with different abilities. Some of these are spiritual gifts, some of these are kind of natural abilities, though I would argue to say that the natural abilities have been put there just as much by God as the spiritual ones. And we are to use them, it says, according to the grace given to us. Again, the same picture of the gospel making a difference. We don't, so here the idea of using according to the grace given to us is, again, according to the fact that we are now belong to Christ and to the body, we are to use them for the glory of Christ and for the benefit of the body. That's how we are to use them. We don't use them to show, I'm better than you. Look at me. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a gift that everybody can see, but your gift can't be seen, and therefore I'm better and more important than you in the body. Well, we discover, and we'll read in a moment from 1 Corinthians 12, that actually... Paul speaks about the significance of every gift being different and every gift being valuable and indispensable. Not just the ones that are seen, but the ones that may often go unseen are the ones that need to be be valued. So we see that God's grace not only gives us righteousness, but also gives us abilities and gifts that we use for His service and for the good of the body. The implication of this passage is that everyone, everyone, Is given abilities and gifts to use, and that each one is important and indispensable. I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians 12, a longer passage about this body analogy and the gifts that we're given, just to draw out the significance of the 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 uh, the importance and the indispensability of each gift. So this is from 1 Corinthians 12. If you've got your Bibles, it'll come on the screen as well, from verse 12. I'll just read it through it slowly so we can just sort of soak it in. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of one body, all the members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we have all been baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink the one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot would say, Because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Or if the ear was to say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which which of our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have. The same care for one another. If one, body, if one member suffers, they all suffer. If one member is honoured, all rejoice. So again, we see in this passage, the fact that every member is valuable, indispensable and interdependent. Now, some of us may be saying, well, I don't know what I've got to offer. What's my place in the body? The passage says, you've got a place. Or maybe we're sitting here thinking, I don't know what that person's work in the body is. The body says, no, that's not the you can't have that sort of thinking. Because you're united in one, every member is indispensable. Everyone has a part to play. And that we as the Christian church should honor those parts that seem unpresentable or seem dispensable, as it were. They seem lower. That there should be something upside down about the way in which we talk about things that are important. So the one that serves quietly should receive uh, honor and praise in, in the body. The one who speaks and is seen more publicly doesn't need to be praised because they're seen. We should make an effort to make sure that we're always praising one another for the small things, the, the, the unseen things that are taking place in the body, the word of exhortation or the building up, the, the, the sort of kindness of, of, a, uh, of a phone call to one another that, that is unseen, the sort of serving and the hoovering up when no one's looking, the looking after of our children when we're all here t- together. You can, you can fill in the gaps of all the different things that you can think of that might go unseen. What Paul is saying here is that because we're united in one body every part of it is valued important and indispensable. And then we have that interdependency that we, we need one another. So it's an encouragement to think, for us to think about it is that how are we going to use our gifts? We, we can't on the one hand say I have no gifts and, and, and not uh, and sort of like hide our gifts away because we, we don't want to serve on the other, other side. We, we don't want to make sure that we are always trying to do the things that people can see so we can get the, the greatest honor. No, we want to come um, and use our gifts according to the grace of God. According to his goodness to us, we are to use the gifts for the goodness of the body. So, I'm just going to, to end with a stick. A couple of thoughts for us in terms of spiritual gifts. Um, Each of us has spiritual gifts. God says that he's given them to us. And normally they're broken into three different groups. Speaking gifts, leading gifts, and serving gifts. And here's some of the examples from the passage that you can look at. The question is, how do we discern the gifts that God has given to us? Maybe they're very apparent to you, you know what they are. But maybe you're just coming to discover what they might be and how you might use them in the body. Um, and there's a couple of ways which we can discern our gifts. First of all, of them is like what I would call like biblical examination, which is like, what are the gifts? What are we talking about? What am I looking for? Uh, and you can, you can read that up in this passage and in uh, 1 Corinthians, um, in the book of 1 Corinthians, I think it's 4, 13 and 14. You'll see some of those gifts, um, 13, uh, 12, 13, 14. You'll see some of those gifts explain that's the first one the second one is self examination you know what what is it that god's put on your heart yeah um, what do you enjoy doing what kind of ministry or caring things do you do that you, that you find satisfying or fi- you find attractive to yourself where do you look and you see a need sometimes we recognize where our, the place where we're going to use our gifts because there's something in us says i want to try and meet that need um, what problems do you notice? What's, what, do, you, do you feel like a burden for the poor? Do you see that people need to be cared for? Do you see like a vision or a strategy? Do you like building or do you like finishing? Some of these things just help us to see some of the gifts that we have and how we might use them in the body. The other thing I would suggest then is maybe chatting with other people. What do they see in you? Sometimes, again, that think of too low of ourselves. Uh, sometimes we have that approach towards our gifts, can't we? Mm. I don't know if I can really use those. Speak to other people. See what they say that they think your gifts are. Sometimes we have a too high view of ourselves, you know? Um, um, and again, speaking to other people. Help us see. Yeah, I see that in you. I can see how that might work. And then finally, um, experience. Uh, in verse 6, it says, let him use it. Sometimes you... We'll not find out your gift until you start serving. <laughs> you know, you, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the gifts that God's given, they don't come like fully packaged and finished. Often, they're things that grow as our character grows, as our maturity grows, as our experience grows. We get to use them uh, effectively in the body. So sometimes we just got to serve. We got to try something. You know. Uh, and see how we do with it and grow, and God, maybe we'll start to discover our gifts. So we are a distinct community. We are united and diverse at the church. Utterly different because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God, we can see ourselves differently. Not too high, not too low. Because of the grace of, of, of God, we can see a community where we can be ourselves because it celebrates diversity in a united way. Because of the grace of God, through God's gospel, we can use our gifts because we now know that we are valued, indispensable, and interdependent on one another.